and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not reflect the views or endorsement of any entity. Nothing being said on this podcast should be considered as investment advice. Derek is affiliated with Collab Plus Currency and may hold positions in assets discussed in this episode. Always conduct your own research and consult with a financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Hey. Hey everyone. Happy Friday. Had to check my watch to make sure it was Friday. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's kind of that week. It really is. It's one of those weeks. Uh, I am joined here. Welcome to Hunter Proof, first of all. It is so great to have you here that we're doing this live. We have a in-studio live streaming setup. In theory, you're all watching this in real time, so we could really screw things up. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm joined here with Justin Mazel. Hi. I'm, I'm not Derek. I'm, I'm Justin. Yeah, yeah, I apologize. Derek. This is more 50 proof this week. Yeah. yeah it's a, Derek, Derek is uh, in Marfa yeah. right now. So uh, he's out there uh, doing a bunch of great art stuff in Marfa. Um, really trying to like, help traditional collectors get onboarded into, because there's a big art conference out mm-hmm. there, get, get onboarded into NFTs. Now, is that is at Glitch? At Glitch. is oh, gallery awesome. out there. Yeah. yeah which Very is pretty cool. awesome. Also, of course, we have Sam Remote, NFT Statistics. Sam, welcome to the show. What's up, everybody? Nice to see you. Did you already record your show for today or no? Or this is part of your show. I did, yeah. It was like one of my shortest shows ever. It was like eight minutes. I'm like, Pepe's pumping. I don't know what else to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) This is now a Pepe show for the moment. I will say this. In these times where it's like things are a little crazy, Sam, you have been like a voice of like consistency and like, you know, I'm trying to get the download of what's going on. Like, I feel an emotional connection to you and your wisdom at this point. And I'm, I'm just kind of embracing it where it's like every time you talk, I'm just like, oh, Sam. Sam. Well, here's the crazy thing is because Uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Because Sam is not here in LA with us. Yeah. And I talk to him, you know, like, let's just call it once a week or whatever for one thing. And then he's just busy doing his own thing. I see him, I'm in my Uber watching him. So yeah. I actually know Sam better as a podcaster yeah. than I do as a human, which is really sad. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, one thing I've learned is when you're doing these shows every day, you know, get up, drink my coffee. I'm like, let's go. This is happening. And like, it's kind of a different personality. My wife yeah. is kind of like, what are you doing? Who are you? It's <laughs> like, it's just like, I don't know. You know, it's funny. It's, it's so true. When um, Back in the day when I used to do, uh, I was working at Tech TV, um, my producer came up to me after the show and it was like, you have to have more energy. You have to have more energy. And I'm like, it, like I, I thought I'm bringing a lot of energy. And they yeah. go, no, tr- this is like, this guy used to work for um, like big network television back in the day. Uh, he was the producer for the Johnny Carson show mm. um, way back in the day. So anyway, he goes, you, you have to be, if when you do 30, 20 to 30% more energy, it actually just comes off as normal. So oh, like, interesting. So when you hear these like talk show hosts and like radio show hosts, yeah. you know, they're like, that yeah, we're wild. Welcome to Friday, blah, blah. It's like, it actually just seems normal to people, which is weird. So Sam, you, all I'm saying is you seem very normal when you do it. Absolutely. So it's very, right, very natural sounds good. for you. Um, awesome. Sounds good. Sam was ready to move the conversation. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. Let's let's go. Yeah, my energy's dead. <laughs> um, I appreciate the nice words. You hear the haters a lot, so it's nice to hear some nice words. Oh, dude, nothing but love over on yeah. the side of the house. Um, all right, so we should get into it. We've got a great packed show for you all today. 
Uh, and we're going to kick things off. Sam, you're going to take the lead here and talk a little bit about uh, a little blend action that has been top of mind for everyone over the last few days. Yeah, I mean, I think if I think in this market this week, there was there's like the occasional story, like you know, Sotheby's launched a marketplace, and Opepin, uh, I think did some interesting things with how they're going to go from kind of the open edition art to like more unique art. Like I think there's some interesting stuff happening, but but really this market has been about two things this week and it's Blend and Pepe, you know? And I think Pepe, of course, you know, one, because a lot of NFT investors are long, two, because it's sending the gas fees through the roof. I just, I just tweeted that, you know, the average gas paid per trade on Blur over the past hour was 0.06 ETH. That's the highest pretty much I've ever been. Um, you know, the normal number for that is under 0.01 ETH. So it's kind of making NFTs unviable. But then, you know, I think uh, the, the, at least NFT specific, it was really blend was the story this week. You know, they came out on Monday. We knew an announcement was coming. I think a lot of people thought there'd be trade bidding, you know, people, to, yeah, and I did know a couple of people who are like, I think it's going to be lending. Uh, and that really kind of relates to paradigm having done this with Uniswap and wanting to kind of really bring DeFi principles to NFTs. And I think that blur is really the vehicle for that. So, uh, yeah, it's had a, a I mean, I think I can, I can talk about blend a little bit if, if that's what you want. I mean, where do, where, where do you want to go? Where do yeah, you want to I mean, go I from here? The, the good news is that your show has been so great at covering like how blend works and what's been going on there. But you know, we didn't really know from the launch of this, it's like, okay, uh, this is crazy. What's going to happen? So I, I would love like the TLDR, like what has happened? Like, because the, uh, initially Azuki was like pop, boom, right up. Like, like yeah. we saw this momentum and it was like, oh shit, this is interesting. 0% interest loans, like people coming in. I even went in and got an Azuki on loan because I was like, I got to learn what's going on here. Like mm -hmm. what's, what's the fallout? Me too. What's, what's going on? So I think, there are a couple of things here. You know, one of the interesting things is like when it first came out, there was like a, a five hour period before it came out where we had not yet, where there was no trading. And during that period, everyone's trying to like understand the math and they had someone from Paradigm work with them on this new Oracle free, you know, kind of product. And all that stuff is very interesting. I think the mechanics make a lot of sense that, it, you know, I think they're, they have more in common with like Ben Dow than, NFT file a little bit, you know, a lot of the principles aren't that new, the idea of fluctuating rates and, you know, kind of market decided rates, which, which Ben Dow has, um, you know, but, you know, and also infinite time period also Ben Dow has, you only get triggered based on price, but there's no duration. So none, but what was, what, what was really proved, none of that actually ended up mattering that much, a little bit, but like what really proved to matter was the fact that again, Blur is just incentivizing like crazy for people to give insanely good terms on loans. So that's one of the big pieces that matters. And two is that buying on leverage has never been easier. Right. So it used to, you'd have to go to Paraspace, which is, you know, it's, it's quite easy to do it there, but it's a new site. It's not one we're used to. It's another risk connecting our wallet to an unknown that we're doing it based on trust of people on Twitter, which doesn't always go well. But here you can just go on Blur and, and you know, and push one button and get leverage. So I think like those two things, insane, 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 uh, incentives for terms combined with incredibly easy access for borrowers just led to a ton of leverage buying. It got to a point where almost every buy on Azuki, more than 85% of the people were taking, you know, 14th of loan against uh, 14 ETH loans against a 15.5 ETH 
purchase, like literally just putting 1.5 ETH down. All sorts of buys were happening, like 80% of the trades on Blur were people grabbing from the offers that were out there as opposed to sellers hitting bids. You know, and the price rallied from 14 and a half, call it, yeah. to 17 ETH, which is one of the highest places that we've been. Now, I think one of the reasons this stuff becomes problematic is because these prices get high and they're purely driven by speculators. Like none of these guys are gonna are, are long-term holders who are gonna like kind of be around and keep this they're just trying to make money just like when i bought it i literally bought it when i went to bed and sold it when i woke up i just wanted to learn about it i'm, and, I'm so i'm so the opposite of that like i literally <laughs> i bought mine because i was like i actually want to hold an azuki yeah. and so that was, uh, but you're yeah, at risk but, of getting liquidated now no i know i know and that's that's the price you pay to play with new new technology you know so it's like i wanted to i was twofold it was one to i need to know how this stuff operates and and, and two uh you know, don't get me wrong i think azuki is actually pretty cool art I, oh I it's great really art. like amazing yeah. art and that's actually a good point. Like my, my initial idea, my initial thought here was that real buyers were just going to get more access to capital. Uh, and I, so I was kind of pretty optimistic at the beginning. Like this could be interesting. Like you're going to get real buyers. They're picking NFTs. They're not just getting dumped a floor NFT. And we're going to see like real buys happen and people who want capital are going to get it. I think what ended up happening is it became extremely speculative because mm -hmm. if the price goes down enough, you're going to get liquidated. So it's, it, you know, if you, and you had a lot of real holders come in and sell. So more than 200 Azukis that had not traded in over a month have been sold Ooh, over the past four months, really? which, which is pretty high for the project. I think a lot of these holders are just like 17 ETH. Like I was that's, 14 that's, and a half ETH. That's brutal though, right? Because as a project you want, I mean, I'm assuming, and, and Sam, you're way more in the, in the weeds here than, than I am, but like you want... You want these members, you want these diverse holders, not just to be in you know, the hands of people that are just constantly flipping through it. And so what you're saying here is that you had some unique holders that were taking some wins here and then put, putting them back into the hands of the flippers. Is that right? And I, yeah, you know, and a lot of those holders, you know, they're always sellers for any project, you know, 200 sure. out of 10,000 Azukis isn't that much, but at the margin, it is a lot, you know, and if the, you know, so I, and we had the same thing with incentivized bidding is all these bid, these bids just got the price higher than people were used to. And real holders who were patient were like, okay, I've been patient for this price, let's sell. And then what ends up happening is those, those leveraged, the guys who get them are the guys who are levered long, but prices go lower, they get liquidated. And it's the exact same thing that happened with bidding, incentivized bidding, is it's the airdrop farmers that get the bulk of the supply. It's because the airdrop farmers are the lenders. The only, no one's ever gonna lend you 14 ETH at 0% interest. Like that's just not gonna happen unless you're getting an incentive, which is what Blur wants. They wanna get, like incentivize people to give great terms and make this attractive. But at the end of the day, those are the guys who get up, who get all the supply. And it, you couldn't, as a project, you just can't have a worse holder because they, uh, their incentive is to get their ETH back so they can lend it out, earn more points. So the dumping just happens very quickly. And I think other holders see that and are like, oh, this, this is this is not the time to buy right now. There are hundreds of Azukis going into the hands of uh, of the airdrop farmers. It just makes it, you know, Azuki has a lot of great things going for it, but this just becomes a bigger headwind than I think what I expected, which was, oh, this is going to be great. Capital in the hands of people who want to buy Azukis. And just weirdly behind the scenes, you get a dynamic that ends up being much more problematic than than helpful, I think, when yeah. when you look at how these have played out. And the same thing's true with punks. I mean, punks now are below the price that they were before blend happened, you mm -hmm. know, after a 10% rally. It, it, and it's tough for me because it's like, I like all the mechanics are things that I don't truly understand at like the very core. I was even like, we're like whiteboarding. Kevin's like explaining some of these things to me. But like, I do feel like there's, there's a version of this at the beginning of the week that was like, 
obviously there's very extremist takes on it where it's like, this is the end of everything. This is really dangerous. And you have other people that's like, Hey, this can open this up. And so I know there's a lot of perspectives, but it's like, so we're a weekend now. When did this launch on, on Monday? And so what would you say based on the speculation of what could have happened to like where we are today, are there any new insights for like what's happened so far with where we're at currently? Like whether it's the doomsayers or whether it's the people that were optimistic, where do you find yourself right now? I find myself neither. I I certainly don't find myself optimistic. You know, I I used to, I I think we'll probably see like D gods and some new projects come on. And Mm. having seen now that Izuki and punks, you know, are both kind of towards where they were before they launched. I don't think you're going to get these, these rallies that you got. I think it would have been really cool to see blend without the incentives. Like it'd been really interesting, interesting. to see where interest rates come out. Like where, like, you know, how much do people have to pay to get, to get leverage against Suzuki's? Like that would have been really interesting to see. But what you've had right now is just the further shitcoinization of NFTs. And I think mm. as that happens more, like all these people just dumping into bids, nice ones being dumped into bids. And as that happens more, it just, I think broadly speaking, people start to respond. They're like, yeah, I don't really feel as much connection as I used to. that's just like a slow grade is that like doom for nfts no but Mm -hmm. uh you know the other interesting thing is is users leave like a lot of the idea here is that you attract like you put in these incentives it attracts more capital i think that was how it worked in DeFi. you've almost had the opposite impact in nfts where you know blur users last week were lower than they were the second week after launch before they even introduced their coin blur had more users than they have right now so you have, you know, they, it's down 75% from where users were in February because it, it's just kind of had this opposite effect where you've had a lot of whales take over. People are playing more for blur points and they're playing to own the NFTs that they want. It just feels like a total trader game. And if you're not in that game, this isn't for you. It's not like you have this huge healthy market on the other side that's offsetting it. It's become yeah. the only game and people yeah. are, that, people are leaving. That was my good. That was my question I was going to have for you, Sam, is like, it, it, this is like, to me, when I think about <clears throat> just if, if, if we were to co- consider these commodities for a second, say, okay, forget the art, all mm-hmm. that stuff, um, you know, they're digital objects, right? Digital objects are always going to be forced towards a stre- extreme efficiency, right? Like that, that makes sense to me. All that makes sense. Like this, this, this happening, whether it was Blur or someone else, I feel like it was going to, it was just going to happen. Now, that said, I think all of it kind of goes away if we would have, you know, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000 people on the other side of it that are collectors that are saying, hey, I want to own a CryptoPunk. Mm-hmm. I want to come in here. Like, do you agree with that, Sam? Is it just like if, if we really had a healthy community of collectors, would this blur thing just be a fun little side? Uh, would it be a, as big a deal as it is today if there was a bigger base of users buying NFTs? It's hard. I think it takes over. I, like I, you know, there are, there are a thousand, there are ten thousand crypto punks, but on any month, only seven hundred or eight hundred of them trade. Right. And on the bull market, fifteen hundred of them trade. So when you have this massive gamification happening on one side, where they're all just playing against each other, I, I just don't think it's like the asset class where this works that well. You know, I, I worked on a trading floor at Apple, or not Apple. I worked at a trading floor at Goldman Sachs, right? And tr- you know, for eight years, and traders on the floor are like buying and selling, but that's because there are institutions out there buying huge piece portions of Apple. You have people who are hedging, you have people who are playing against the S&P 500 and all sorts of different players. You have you have governments who are like, I need to buy S&P 500 in order to get my exposure, I need to buy billions of dollars, you know? And then traders can kind of sit in the middle of those guys and, you know, and, and play. But in this world here, it's the only game. 
80 mm -hmm. per 80 to 90 percent of the trades are just these guys trading with each other mm -hmm. and it's and i think it has this impact of like removing kind of the people who are in it for real because if you like right now if you want to buy an azuki well you know there are or if you want to buy a punk you know there are like 80 to 100 that are just being dumped between airdrop farmers over the course of a week like it's just not a good environment. Like maybe if you really love a punk, you can buy one. But I think broadly speaking, there's a sentiment like, well, I probably can get one cheaper when the dust settles here. Cause I yeah. know these holders don't have long-term interest. I just, I, 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 think I think that what we're seeing here is this asset class is, is just a weird fit for what's what they're trying to achieve but, here. But I think what you're, what you're saying, you, you just nailed it here. And that's it, a big question that we're all asking is like you said, when the dust settles, like when, when is that going to happen? I think you need to get to a place where there's just not so much incentive to bid on stuff you don't want. I think like, I think that's a big piece of it. So that's that, that just my this, kind of view. Is this a world where, well, the one thing that Justin and I were talking about before we went live is like, uh, you know, the blur token, like it's, it seems like I, and I granted I haven't checked in the last couple of days, mm -hmm. but it seems to have held it's, it's like price more or less pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Um, if, if blur takes a hit, like if we, we have a lot of faucets right now, it feels like, like there's a lot of ways to receive blur. There's not a lot of use cases that I can think of. Sam, correct me if I'm wrong here, but like, is, is it the blur token that is at the, the, the kind of linchpin for all of this? I think, yeah, I think without the, I mean, blur, by the way, blur and Pepe right now have identical market caps, 1.7 billion. Um, they, and that, that's as of like a minute ago, but I think, uh, yeah, I think, if the coin loses value, if they start to, I mean, I think what's happening right now is you're seeing so much coin go to so many different incentivized people that I think there's more of a feeling like this is, this stuff's actually not worth that much. Like I've personally done a lot of airdrop farming. It takes a lot of work to get points and it's not just work. You put on a lot of risk and like people are now saying that each point is worth like $3 and people are literally putting like $10,000 of risk up to get one. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I think, I just think we do need to get past a place where there's so much incentive for people to buy stuff that they want to insta dump. Cause whenever yeah. those, your most incentivized buyer is someone who's, who's just bidding for something they're going to insta dump. Like it just becomes very hard. I think for an outside person to want to go buy their one doodle. Now, I, I think Sam, that's... I was talking to uh, yesterday. I had a phone call yeah. with um, some very smart folks on, on the crypto side at a firm um, that, that all they do is they, they have economists and other people that work for them to help figure out, you know, smart contract design and, and different mechanics. And we were talking about, you know, where is this all going in terms of, um, both royalty protection and, and just like, you know, how does a, a, a new collection opt out and say, I don't want to take part in this game. I just want to have my own unified, like single collection. And, you know, one of the things that was brought up was, might there be a world where, more marketplaces spring up that are purpose built and protect NFT assets and are only tradable on those single marketplaces. So it's not like we can have them. And there are certain uh, ways that you can do this apparently at the smart contract level. Um, you know, that's above my pay grade, but they were walking me through it. And, you know, do you see a world where, especially with art, I'd have to imagine it would go this way, but do you see a world where people say, Hey, you know what, this is, I don't want to be, I don't want my NFTs to be high frequency traded. You know, I want to have, mm. I'm going to protect them more in future collections. I mean, you see a bit of it happening, like captains, uh, cubs, you know, a couple of the more successful projects have enforced royalties. And I think that that's just like with cat, you know, if this whole strategy falls apart with enforced royalties, because you have to be able to get in and out very quickly. 
Um, and it's not really, it's just really not worth it to pay royalties. So I think projects like we've seen other D do it. We saw Quirky's do it. We saw Goblins do it, like do these different things where they exchange their NFT for something else. So I think you could see a little bit of it. And then, then the other side of it, and I think that you have people who disagree with me. I have a lot of people who disagree with me on this stuff and I DM with them a lot and it's always a fun conversation. If, if you're one of those people who disagrees with me and thinks I'm crazy, just hit me up on DMs. I always like to, to chat with people with different perspectives here. But you know, is that, it's just that NFT is like, like it's in this part of the cycle right now where FOMO is just low, you know, like it's like, how do you bring back that energy that people get excited about NFTs again? Because if you get away from the incentivized bidding, you know, it's, that doesn't mean your people are going to love your project suddenly. Like people have bruises now, they have wounds, things have gone down a lot. So it's like, how do you bring that, that, that feeling of exclusivity that, that people, you know, I remember back, like, you know, when people were trading apes, you'd see someone get like a new, uh, you know, a new spinner, a new 3D glasses. They go on to, I've always wanted a 3D glasses, you know, like yeah. so happy this is my new ape. You know, right now, all you have to do is put in a, a bid and you'll get six of them, <laughs> you know, in, in, in a short time. It's yeah. just that dynamic has left. So I think there's, that's that second point here is like, how do you get people excited, feeling connection with NFTs again, uh, excited about projects, community? Like that's the other thing that has to happen. That's a great point. That's why we get up out of bed in the morning is figure this shit out. Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely a lot of scar tissue out there and, and certainly, you know, fun problems to work on. Um, but let's move on outside of blur. Um, uh, thanks for those, uh, insights, Sam. I know that you, you pay close attention to this stuff and, and I, and I also love that it's a very important and what's something that you pointed out that, you know, you are always the first to raise your hand and say, if you don't agree with me, like, let's chat about it like this, like, cause like no one has the perfect, like, you know, uh, crystal ball here into the future of how the stuff's all going to play out. So, but I, I was, I was, yeah, I, I was in a discord. I was in a Discord and, I, they, and the people didn't know I was in there. And there's this one guy just going off. He's like, NFT stats, like that guy's so biased. He's like, so like, so mad that proof paths are going down. So he just attacks, attacks Blur nonstop, total scapegoat for his own misfortune. And I was like, that's a pretty aggressive take. So I actually pinged the guy <laughs> over Twitter and I pinged the guy over Twitter. He's like, oh, you're in there? Like, but, but we, now he's someone I chat with and we, and we agree on, 30% of the things and enjoy kind of each other's takes on the other 70%. And, you know, uh, yeah, I think sometimes in these public forums, though, it gets way yeah. too tribalistic. Those are the, honestly, though, man, those are the best relationships I've found in NFTs is the ones where you can have people push back on you and say like, Hey, what you did there, I didn't like because of this. And then if you, if you have the, like, you know, just, if you're not a person that is so set in your ways, like I, I have the, there's, I think it was an Andreessen or a, um, a Ben Horowitz quote where it's like, you want to have a strong convictions loosely held, yeah. right? Where like you, you, you get really, really, you know, you believe in something, but if there's a better idea in the room, a better opinion in the room, you're, you're, you have enough uh, fluidity that you can take that on and, and modify your thinking, which um, I, I always want to be that way. And I know that Sam, you're like that as well. So you're definitely not like that. No, I, I actually think you should hold on to only your thoughts and opinions, even if you're uninformed and just ride that down, <laughs> just <laughs> take right. it on down. No, no, not at all. And I, I totally agree that that's something that the, the humans behind a lot of this, it is always really interesting to actually have an earnest conversation with somebody. And I think the, the best people I enjoy, it's, it's not people that get it wrong. We all get it wrong. It's the people that with the introduction of new information can take a look at something and say, Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I, I was a little off on this, and I was right about this. This does make sense, and this might not. But it now, it, with this new information, I can kind of carry that forward, and I can be respectful of kind of where you're at. And 
I'd love to see more of that. Love that. I love your your shirt. You got that dark Hawaiian kind of shirt. Vibes yeah, it's going on it's today. like a Hawaiian punk is kind of what I'd That's say. Good. Yeah, That's thank good. you. Yeah, it's because of the night mode uh, moonbirds. Moonbirds. Yeah, I got the the yeah. Japanese kind of event thing going on. All right, uh, let's let's keep going. <laughs> um, Next story, we want to talk about uh, Proof Presents. We're going to do a little, um, uh, oh, sorry, no. Before we get there, we're going to talk about one-of-one artwork. And we're talking about your collection as well. Oh, it's very kind. Because, you know, you, so there are only a handful of artists that, you know, have been PFP creators, Mm -hmm. All Seeing Seneca, like a few others that have created, like, for those that don't know, she created Apes, um, that have gone on to say, okay, you know, and obviously there's, they have more talent than just being a PFP creator, sure. Gr- a Gremlin I'd put in that camp. Like, yeah, you know, like there's a ton of people that have created PFPs that can go on to them, then become, uh, you know, one of one artists or do other projects. Um, you know, you were part of our diamond drop exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, would just love to hear like a little bit about, uh, that whole journey, um, a little bit more about it. And then, you know, do you think more artists can make this jump as well? Yeah. Uh, this is a topic I'm very passionate about. Yeah, I mean, it is very different. You know, it's like if you ever talk to somebody about the difference between design and art, you'll get a lot of different answers right here. Um, But ultimately, like, you know, if you think about design, design is like a purpose. It has an intended impact that you're looking uh, to solve for or an intended flow that you want to guide somebody through. And so it's like there are typically like right and wrong ways to design something. If something is a poor user experience, for example, like that's probably not a great design. If you want somebody to be able to do and achieve something and they can't do that by the end goal or they're too confused, you probably need to go back. On the other side, art is something that's like, it can just be experienced. You don't need to know all the ins and outs and the whole story behind something. And I know I'm like a broken record right now, but I've been very big on the Summer Wagner piece uh, from Diamond Exhibition and just going through her body of work. And it's like, I don't know the stories of like what she's doing in these pictures and this world she's building. But man, I do know what I feel about it. I do know what the mood feels like. And it like, it's very moving in that way. Yeah. You, you showed cool me her work yesterday. It was funny. Cause like, it, it's so hard for me. I, of course, when diamond exhibition comes out, I look through every single artist and see what's mm-hmm. going on, but I don't often have the time to go in and check out their complete body of work. Yeah. And you're like, Kevin, you need to pay attention. Like go check out this work. And it's like hauntingly yeah. good. And I'm a big fan of like art that, that gives me that vibe that like haunting yeah. like curiosity and uh yeah so she's definitely one to follow and you cl- you collected uh one of her pieces from I, the- well I, I finished all her she had four pieces okay. in there. so yesterday i finished uh all four of them but like they're just it's just such a great thing but again like to me like art that i really love is art that moves me and that can be in film that could be in you know in visuals and so like pfps are interesting because when you're working on these projects it's very much a design system. You're thinking about how do these things, you know, interlock together, you know, you're optimizing for diversity of whether it's traits or composition. And so it it is very much that like, that precision of design that comes into impact there. You know, when we made Moonbirds, it was like, we had a very stated goal. It was like simple trait pool, iconic elements. It needs to feel different enough, but it needs to feel like it's part of the same family. Like, you know, we've all seen PFPs that like have an enormous trait pool, but potentially like it doesn't feel as connected. So like we wanted a really simple throughput right there. And the other side of it too was like, you want to optimize, at least for me, like my intent and purpose is most of these PFPs are going to be seen, I don't know, 64 by 64 pixels, for example. They're going to be small in the context of like, you're on a web page, you're on a piece of social media, and this is the person's identity. So it's like, you're more thinking about those design system levels rather than you are like, I want somebody to experience this. And yeah, we have, 
things that we like, you and I were like, we like games, we like Zelda, we like retro things. We also like the simplicity of, you know, the crypto punks world. And so you can have those stated impacts that you're looking for. But to me, a successful collection in that sense is one that works. It works as a piece of identity. It works for other people to see themselves in it and be like, yes, this is me. I'm a part of that. That's why traits are such a cool thing. But art, when you're just making just art for the sake of art, I'm not looking at that and saying like, I want to make this for Kevin to feel like he's mm. part of that. I'm making art to be like, no, 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 no. I'm doing something for me. And it's a little more selfish for me, but it's like, that's what was awesome at End Transmissions. It was like, it was such a cool time for me to have a story that was really important to me and to be able to do something about where I am right now and be able to kind of live in that moment. And it, it's for me, for everybody to collect if they want, but it's my story in that way. So we can pull up a couple of, you have, uh, uh, some pieces up here let me grab the mouse here so can you just like walk us through like what exactly g- g- <laughs> yeah. give give us the vibes give us the the creation process just out of curiosity and what went into this yeah so the idea behind in transmissions for me um it started off with seeing this film uh it's it's a film that i only recommend if you really want to watch something bizarre and i say that because you've taken things when i talk about films and assume that i'm telling you to watch those movies oh my god and then you watch those movies and you're like i fucking hated that movie and i'm like dude i didn't wasn't telling you what to was watch that it when you, you told me to watch it was horrible it wasn't horrible it was, it was a great movie i'm not gonna say it because now say you said it. it's horrible no you said it's horrible and and that filmmaker does not deserve to be known for kevin rose saying his film okay. is terrible it was, it was but, a great but, film but here's here's the point though like when i was creating end transmissions i'd seen this film and it was called skinamarink and the entire idea behind skinamarink is that it's an experimental film and so there's not a traditional narrative you don't even see the kids like faces in this movie and this is the only actors as movie. it's two kids and basically the entire story is they wake up there's no real subtext for this story and the doors and the windows of the house are disappearing and the entire thing is filmed on old like 90s camcorder style. Mm. You don't actually see the camera move. It's always just placed in a weird place and it's placed in angles that a kid would see. So it's like, you know, kind of like low shots that like things are out of focus. And it's a horror film in that like you love it, horror. Films. I do. I love horror. But it's like the entire idea is this unsettling feeling of being a kid and what it feels like to like wake up in the middle of the night and be terrified. And if you go into that film knowing that it's not a traditional narrative, it's just a ma- it's made to make you feel something again, um, for those of us who need to feel things, it's actually a really powerful experience. And so with In Transmissions, um, number one, there's a, a television that's on in this movie and it's it's playing old like cartoons from, you know, like the 1950s where black and white kind of Max Fleischer kind of area style. And like, there's something about something out of context that can go from comforting to creepy. And so I started thinking about this idea of like being a kid, falling asleep on the couch and wanting to be in front of the TV because it was safe and it was dark and everybody else had fallen asleep and I, I want to fall asleep and it's kind of creepy, but the, the TV keeps you safe. And a long time ago, it doesn't happen anymore. Programming would end, especially for like public access channels. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of that, like this the sound would play. Or, yeah. What yeah. would be like the please stand by or end of yeah, broadcast yeah. for the day. And so for me, what I really loved about <laughs> in this series exploring didn't love in the moment was sometimes it'd wake you up because they play like the national anthem or they'd like play a beeping sound. And I remember waking up when that would happen, being stranded on the couch and there's no more programming left and thinking to myself like, 
do I run to my bedroom really quick? Do I try and close my eyes and fall asleep right here and hope that nothing gets me? But it's like, like, like there's just this feeling of like, I don't know, like, like it, it, it's creepy and it's weird, but it, it was an object that brought such comfort when the glow of the TV was on and suddenly you don't have it anymore. And for this series, I took this and I wanted to explore it with this mid-century modern visual language. You know, geometric patterns have been around for a super long time, but in in the, in like the mid-century mod visual language, which really took root in like, you know, the 1950s, you're talking about the space race. You're talking about this time where it's like you see these images. And to me, and I'm not saying it is, but you could argue that it was like the last time people were like dreaming in such a big way where it's like retrofuturism was at the height. It's like people are making cars like, oh, we're going to be in flying cars soon enough. And they're going to be have these big domes. And we're going to be in space. And the moon is only the beginning. And it just felt like this, this time of dreams. And so I, I was thinking about taking this, this idea of the dreaming state of of where we were at the height of the space race at the height of you know believing the future is now pairing it with this old CRT screen where it's the last broadcast that ever comes out as the world is ending and putting these pieces together and and creating this i would argue my only horror piece of artwork um, just this unsettling glow that if you were in a black room, completely blacked out, no lights on, and this is the last thing that's on a television on this old CRT screen that's barely eking out this last visual before the world ends. Like, that was it. The memory of a dream. What do these shapes represent? Like, what are the different, like, the, the different designs? Why is this the screen that is showing at your last moment? Because I think it's like the memory of, again, like it was a time where we believed that some of these things were possible. And it's like, if this is the end, and, and, and like to put it in a nice way, like, like right now in NFTs, in art, in the future of honestly everywhere, it does feel like we don't have the answers for where everything's going. There's a lot of unsureness about what everything looks like. And so to me, it was like channeling this idea and holding on with your last gasps of like something that was comforting and beautiful. And it felt like the vestige of a of a time that wasn't afraid to dream about some of these things like that to me felt like the last thing that would be playing is is remembering some of those kinds of things and so again i took some liberties and created some additional abstractions within that you know mid-century uh geometric visual language system but that was really kind of the idea and the intent behind a lot of it yeah and, and if you go back to your dribble account and and look at the stuff that you've done historically i've like, always loved geometry yeah it, this has been a big like this years and years ago you have <laughs> a pieces that you designed that were like this so it's cool to see it uh in nft form now and like this definitely belongs on an old crt that's the only way yeah you yeah. can't put this on a danvis or something fancy the only way you can get it you got to get a little tiny tv and just kind of keep it on keep it in the basement uh send your kids down there where they haven't been good and they need to focus on something and get retrained uh it's it's uh it's hopefully slightly unsettling a little creepy and uh that was kind of the vibe that's awesome i love it i appreciate it yeah i mean you put it i like it even more hearing your story Oh, thank yeah, just you. like hearing the story now, it just, it, it, yeah, I think with something, I mean, I've, I've always, I've always liked this as an output, but I think the story just makes it all come together. For sure. <laughs> There's a playlist that I listened to while I was making this. Uh, it's my like astral plane primer playlist and it's all just like dissonant discordant sounds. And uh, it really helped me get in the mindset. I'm, I'm what you call a method designer in that like I got to hear something that like fits the bill of what I'm designing. 
And what's the deal with the different colors? Because I know most of them are kind of uh, that that grayscale, and then you have a few that are color. Yeah, that one's the Hell Drinker palette. Um, color for me is like like so. I wanted to do black and white because like I wanted to really restrain myself. However, like I I liked the idea of you know if this was a much smaller collection, I probably would have kept it in the black and white and kind of played with how it could you know maybe expand from here, but because of the size that, you know, we ended up kind of landing at for diamond exhibition. I was like, I do want some diversity in there and color is a, it's my favorite part of design. I love color. I love playing with color. Um, when I was initially scoping out these shapes, I created color palettes to test and I created like 48 unique color palettes that we, that I could play with. And so, uh, really wanted to pare it down, create a collecting sort of mentality of like how these things, you know, you, you don't just only want the black and white at a, at a collection this size. Um, and so for me, it was just a matter of, of exploring, getting to do cool colors and then seeing because the process of how these colors need to get bloom lighting effects and I need to like, there's a liquid, like, like there's a ton of different effects that are applied to each of the outputs. Once we get them out from the SVG form, it's then figuring out how can I utilize colors and not overblow it, make sure that there's still definition and all that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot of trial and error with the color palettes to figure it out, but I just, I love color. Very cool. Correct me if I'm wrong, but these do come with unlimited utility and a free token. Yeah. The utility is, uh, you can look at this in the bunker during the apocalypse. So, okay. So there is no, uh, but in all seriousness, uh, did you ever think about any kind of burn mechanics around this stuff? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, there's a lot, um, there's a lot of cool stuff I can do. I mean, the funny thing is like, so each of these is a two by two grid composition, different tiles on there, but I just love the idea that it's like, that's just a bunch of metadata that I can play with however I want. There's a lot that I can do with it, um, which I really love. And again, because this is a visual language system and a style I've explored my entire career. I love the idea that this is sort of like, a precursory block into where I can kind of take some of these things and ultimately how I lean into it, what I want to do with some of that stuff. I think it's super fun. Um, but as an artist, you know, it's like, that's what I like about this right now is like, this is something for me that I created and now I get to kind of build around it. If I want, I can do what I want with it. Um, but ultimately what I really hope is that like, if you know, I find the people that identify with it and really enjoy, uh, sort of what that output looks like. And then if I want to add something on, you know, I'll explore that for myself. Awesome. Yeah. Dude, thank you for sharing that story. It's always great to have the background here and it's, it's beautiful stuff. I mean, it's, it's just, of course it's going to be awesome. Y'all are very nice. I appreciate being here. Um, speaking of other staff members that have done art before we brought on team divergence, they actually had locked, uh, launched, um, their own art projects. And we want to show you a team divergence, by the way, Aaron from, uh, uh, team divergence, um, our VP of engineering, uh, launched a project with Harry as well uh, before they joined the team. And we want to give you a little uh, a clip of that as well. Simple mathematical formula that all it really does is place dots on a page. From that, you get these incredible, beautiful images that come out. They're so densely packed that if you printed it at about 250 dpi, it would be larger than Jamaica. It actually uses open source mapping software. Something that you'd usually use to explore the globe, but in this case, using it to explore the image itself. I became obsessed with it. I kept exploring what happens when you zoom in as far as you possibly can. 
actually explore down to the minutiae of every single little dot. Proof of Artwork was about showing people these patterns, but also allowing them to explore along the way. All right. That is so awesome to see some of Aaron's work. He's just a, such a great engineering talent. I have a new co-host <laughs> that is by me now. Uh, yeah, not Derek Edwards, a different Derek. Derek, welcome to the show. My pleasure, Kevin. It is, uh, you can pull your mic in a little bit closer, too, if you want. Um, it is so great to have you here because people, uh, especially the Proof community, probably know you for the art that you've done recently and dropped within our community and that people have just absolutely fallen in love with. And so uh, you're normally based out of Tokyo, correct? And uh, you're here in L.A. And we're like, <laughs> well, well, shit, let's have him come on the show and talk about you know, some of his art and what, what you've been up to. So uh, I'd love first, though, to kind of give people an idea of uh, you know, some of your collections and what you've done. Which one of these do you want me to, to click on here in, in feature? Should we look at... Uh, we could start with... Whispers in the Snow, which was the latest one. Yeah, let's do it. All right, so so walk me through. Um, so you're you're really known for this style of this kind of like three up view. Um, these are being recorded simultaneously, right? In that they have uh, the cameras are, are it's actually happening all at the same time. Is that correct? Or yeah. so they're synced completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some of them, it's a little tricky because. I like having the three points of view to have this omnipresent kind of vibe where you know what's happening everywhere at the same time. Um, something that very few people know is actually based in like a visual haiku, which is three lines, 17, 17 syllables. So this one translates into 17 seconds. It's um, so beautiful. And it's just like, I wanted to translate the serenity that Japan brings. I mean, you guys were just there and, you yeah. know, like it realigns you and it makes you feel so calm and soothing. So it's worked out really, really well. And I actually have to give a shout out to Dro, who's one of the collective members. He was the very first one to collect one of these pieces like two years ago already. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. And he was the one who said, this is going to go high. That's crazy. So this is something, how did he even find you? Honestly, I don't really know because it was in the middle of the bull run. Yeah. So it was really cool because, you know, like everybody was just like all over the place and they were just digging to see what was new and stuff. I had the pleasure of having really big names collecting me when I started. I mean, like the bull run was just insane. And yeah. it was like between Pixel Pete, Drell, Unknown Collector et cetera, et cetera. And I think that from there, it started to like take off. Yeah, and you have a, a really uh, fascinating story when it comes to, you know, your, your, your path and your, your, your kind of story to get to where you are today as this artist that is now, you know, as you're dropping things, they're like selling out pretty fast, which is amazing. Um, but walk me through, uh, if you're willing to share, you know, what COVID was like for you and what you went through, because I know that was a pretty a pretty uh, crazy time for you. So for me, what happened was I was traveling around Asia and I was doing documentary photography. And I started traveling when COVID was nothing. It was just like some random thing happening in China. So I was like, sure, I can travel. Like nothing's going to happen. And lo and behold, like little by little, it started to take off. And every time I heard that it was coming closer to the country I was at, 
I would just fly to the next one and to the next one and so on. So that way I ended up going through Japan, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. And at the point where it got really bad, I was in India. And the government was like, okay, guys, like, we don't know what the fuck we're going to do this. Um, we need you to get out. We need you to go back home. Um, the only option you have is taking a flight literally to your home country. We're not allowing any other place. So I was really lucky that a friend of mine was the one who decided to book the flight for me because I couldn't because my bank had canceled my, not canceled, but blocked my account because it was weird that I was going through so many countries. Mm. So it was like the shittiest moment where your bank can fail you. Um, so my friend booked it for me. I gave him one of my lenses in, in exchange because I obviously didn't have the cash for that. And the flight was India, Japan, United States, Mexico. And while I was in Japan, I was only supposed to stay there for two hours. And I was eating a sandwich, having coffee, just waiting in the Tokyo airport. <laughs> and suddenly, I remember like seeing all the screens. Everything turned red. All the flights got canceled. And all the people were going crazy because it was like, no one can go home. All the flights got canceled. There were no in inbound or outbound flights. And... um it was just it was just wild like nobody knew what was going to happen in the end so i was really lucky that mexicans huh? where did you go like what did you like? i have friends there i was okay. i'm really lucky that i have some very old friends over there so i told them like okay this is happening um i need a place to stay because i don't know what's gonna go so they ended up letting me stay there for two weeks which was what the government told us that was gonna last for and after the two weeks, suddenly the government was like, guess what? This is, this is bad. And we're going to block for first it was three months. Then they extended it to six and then to nine. And, and so they, as, a, as a foreigner, did they say it was okay for you to stay there? Or they didn't have any other option. I, I actually have like <laughs> immigration actually laughed at my passport because I'm one of the very few people who has three extensions mm. in Japan. Like... They never do that. Like tops, it's like one or two. Mm -hmm. I have three. So after those two weeks, I I started looking for a place to stay at because I obviously like more than two weeks at a friend's house was way too much. And there was a hostel that was still open. So I reached out and I was like, yo, like I don't have a place to stay at. Um, I I need somewhere. I need a roof. And they were super nice and they let me stay there. But I was only a guest. It was a nine-floor hostel. There was nobody else. And they told me, like, okay, so this is not going to be, like, a regular place. Like, we know that your situation is rough. We know that there's nowhere for you to go. Was this a Japanese owner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super nice guys. Um, amazing people. They, they became my family. Um, they told me, check your bank balance. Tell us how much you can afford. If it's $1, $1 it'll be. And we just want you to be safe. Um, obviously, the hostel is not going to have like the normal commodities of having someone to come and clean your room or like stuff like that. But at least you have a roof and you're at a safe yeah. space. So that was that. And suddenly I started to just show people what the life was inside of Tokyo being trapped. Um, I started sharing it on Instagram. And because also, unfortunately, because of COVID, I lost my job. So 
it was really rough for me because I had no income. And I started sharing like, oh, yeah, like this is the daily things I do. Um, I'm studying Japanese or I'll walk around or I'll go like. So where I used to stay at, there was a river and there were like bridges. So I would go and work out on the, I don't know how you call it, like the metal. Like the pull up bars. Yeah, yeah like, I would yeah. just be doing that. And Japanese people would just like stare like, what's this weird creature doing? You know, because <laughs> it was like too raw for them. Like people don't do that. So I'd have like people literally taking pictures of me or I'd make friends like that. Yeah. And like I had people literally coming the next day and like dropping off like groceries or stuff because they knew that I was just trapped. Oh, that's super, amazing. Super, super kind people. And um, like even one night I was just wandering around. It was like probably 4 a.m., 3 a.m. And I was just walking because there was nothing else to do. And I found this like group of teenagers doing BMX and skateboarding and stuff. And we started chatting. I was taking some pictures and stuff. They were like, dude, like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, it's already, it's super late. And I started telling them my story and everything. And while I was talking, by that time, I was only eating once a day because I had to ration a lot of my stuff. Um, and I told them like, oh, yeah. They asked me if I had had dinner. And I was like, eh, you know, like I had lunch. That was it. And this guy starts just to text somebody else as we're talking. And maybe like seven minutes later, another guy with a BMX arrives with like bags and bags of 7-Eleven. They literally just went and bought food to have oh like God. a dinner with me, even though they didn't know who I was. Um, they, they didn't want anything from me. Just like they just wanted to take care of me. And it was just beautiful. Like people were super gentle with me everywhere I went. Everyone supported me. Um, when I started sharing stuff on Instagram, people asked me my address through Amazon. They would ship me stuff. The people from the hostel, like their family would make like um, handmade face masks. They would send me some. Um, it was just, it was a beautiful moment because it was like, you're at the mercy of everybody and you don't know how things are going to turn up. And suddenly when, when you let go of everything, Life starts bringing things to you. Uh, sorry, I'm choking because it was like no, a really, really um, important moment in my life. Um, and after those maybe like two months of doing that, um, <laughs> I started going into Tinder because I got lonely. And it was, it was really rough because I have no family there. My friends, they were taking care of themselves or their families. So people were not going out. And I was like, I need to meet someone like not a partner or anything, but I, how, how do I meet somebody? And I was like, okay, let's try. So I got into Tinder and suddenly this other girl who was a photographer, she had in her profile, like photos that she shot, that she shot, like no profile pictures of her or anything. And she was saying like, oh, I'm looking for another photographer to just like hang out and have a model or just like whatever, you know, like Nothing serious, no relationships, no nothing. It's just like becoming friends. So I was like, oh shit, like this is nice. So I swiped right and we matched. And we went out, we started shooting temples and stuff. And we had a super nice night. Um, I kind of wanted her to have a dinner with me, but obviously I couldn't afford it. So... We went to 7-Eleven and we bought like sandwiches and sodas and stuff. And There's that, some good sandwiches at that 7-Eleven, by the know, way. I know, I know. Their egg salad sandwich is to die for. I don't know. Like, 
Actually, there's so many articles about Japanese convenience stores. Yeah. That it's like the quality of the food that you get there、yes. is equivalent like, to a top restaurant in other people countries. People may think that we're joking when we say that because when you think 7 Eleven, you think of like, you know, <laughs> like the lowest end, you know, whatever convenience. But we're being serious. Like,、yeah. it is yeah, like yeah. really good food. Um, yeah, so anyway, yeah. It、continue. actually makes total sense because if you think about the pace of life of Japanese people, it's very hard for them to stop at a restaurant and have a proper meal. So for them, it's like, oh, I'll go to 7 Eleven and buy something.、Mm-hmm. So the moment that 7 Eleven or convenience stores in general realized how big of、um, opportunity this was for them, they bumped the quality and obviously. People started ditching restaurants and just buying convenience food. Yeah, I was、uh, in, in Tokyo、uh, probably about、uh, six or seven years ago, and I was out there at this, this、um, kind of friend's birthday party. And、um, this、uh, friend was friends with、uh, the, the crazy Michelin star sh-、uh, chef, uh, you know, David Chang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And、uh, David's like, oh, we got to go to 7 Eleven. And I'm like, here's this like top tier chef, you know, top of his game. And I'm like, What are you talking about? You know? <laughs> and he's like, You don't understand the egg salad sandwich. And we went and we hit it. And I was like, Oh my God. Like, so yeah.、And、how much did you miss it now? Oh, I, I went and had one when I was, when I was there. <laughs> I, I, I went and had one last time I was there just a few weeks ago. So yeah, absolutely.、Um, but anyway, so when, at what point,、um, I mean, thank you for sharing that story, first of all. It's like, Wow, like holy shit. Like, like that, that's what it, it, it doesn't, it's both、um, uh, beautiful and, and not surprising in some ways. In that, when you get to understand the Japanese culture,、um, I feel like there is a lot of、uh, this like communal care that happens. Like, this, like, you walk around and everything is so clean.、Yeah. And it's like this idea of like supporting the overall kind of like, you know, ecosystem.、Mm-hmm. Uh, which, is, which is a really, really powerful thing, I think. And、Would、it also syncs a lot with Web3, I think, like, which is something that you mentioned when you went there like, that makes a lot of sense. People are used to looking at the greater good.、Mm-hmm. They're not trying to flip something faster. They understand that the longer they hold and the longer they support, the better for everybody. So I feel like there are so many parallels that we can learn from them.、Mm-hmm. And And that was part of the reason why I got into crypto. Because when, when I was there, like, I, I was a tourist, so I couldn't work. So a friend of mine was like, Have you ever tried NFTs? And what I was doing back then was because the only thing I could do was go out and shoot. I would, like, literally, the staff of the hostel would lend me their bicycle, and I would just, like, mount my camera on the tripod and go around the city and shoot because. I mean, it was Tokyo in the middle of a lockdown. Like,、mm-hmm. nobody could see that. So, it's such a beautiful, I mean, that's like such a rare moment,、yeah. right? It, it was, I even like get like、um, chicken skin. Like, I, I, I remember it, and it was like, imagine standing in the middle of Shibuya,、mm-hmm. the crossing、mm-hmm. in the middle of、yes. the street. The chaos even, of all chaos. Exactly. Like, in the middle of where there's thousands of people, or if not millions, crossing every single day, all the billboards were shut down. Wow. All the lights out. There was not a single soul there. And it was, it felt apocalyptic. It was yeah, just like, I was going to say ha- like a haunting kind of like apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah that's. And especially because if you're there, life, like it's so vibrant and there's so much、mm. energy. And being at the complete opposite, it's, it's something that I hope only happens once in my lifetime because it was very special, but it does make you value people. 
it, it's crazy because sometimes we we want peace, we want serenity and stuff, but once we lose like that mm. energy, you're like, holy shit, I need this to come back. Like I, yeah. I want to see the city being alive. It's interesting you say that because, you know, during COVID, I was actually in Portland, Oregon in the middle of the woods, you know, and I, of course, had my, my partner and, um, you know, uh, kids. But one of the things that we realized and, and part of the reason when we started the company, we came down to L.A. is just how much happier we are when we have more close bonds like this. These are essential to have these friendships, you know, and like you when you're in the middle of nowhere yeah. you know it's first first few weeks awesome couple months sure no problem you know but over time it, it has you know a depressing effect on the on the, the psyche and the body and like it, it'll take a toll for sure it does and going back to what i was talking about like that's why i started going into tinder because you start going crazy like at some point it was just like i need somebody I, I, I need people. Like I, I can't keep on being like this. Yeah. And um and we ended up getting married. <laughs> oh congratulations. That's amazing. So that's, that's how I ended up meeting my wife. I love that. Um I'd love to um sure. also uh I mean we could just keep going for hours. Yeah. We, we gotta we gotta schedule a longer <laughs> podcast to go into this in more depth. But I would love to cover a little bit more of your collection, uh to bring it back to NFTs a bit. Um for those when when you first started minting, when you're out there and you first started doing, you know, your initial Genesis drop, your first pieces, was that on foundation? Was that on super rare? Where, where were you doing that? Uh, when you had first learned about NFTs, where, where was where I your started earliest on foundation? Works? On foundation. So yeah, if I click on this, this there. is going to be your earliest work, basically. And if we go to collections, okay, up and then down, 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 all the way down. Uh, a little up. A little up. All There's right. There's one called Dreaming Tokyo. Okay. This is your first yeah. piece that you dropped. That is my first, my very first, first collection. collection. Okay. So if you notice, a lot of that is like very intimate Japanese stuff. Like you'll barely see any foreign people. It's very open scenes because again, like there was nobody. So I had chance to see Tokyo in a completely different moment in life. And this... I love talking about movies and thinking about me as a camera that's just like going through life. Because for me, Japan is this very surreal place where things, even if I live there, even if I've been seeing it every day, it always feels new because yes. it's something that I just can't relate. It's something that it feels like a movie. It's just so surreal yes. and so new to me that I walk around and I'm like, I just can't believe it. Yeah. So, and then it comes down to something as simple as like this guy smoking or yes. the top guy cooking, people talking, cheering. It's it's beautiful to to think about slowing down in life and just breathing in and seeing things pass by. I was talking with Sarah and she was telling me how from our team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How she loved being in Kyoto and suddenly she was trapped like under a rain. And she was just like standing there still and seeing life pass. Mm. And that was her favorite moment. And that's exactly what I try to do with this. Like, just just appreciate stuff. Something mm. as simple as this girl just like standing there and she's just waiting for her, the light to change. The raindrops falling on the water and distorting the, the neon signs, the train passing. And I don't know, like, 
if if we think about it, like even when we're with our families, with our friends, it's those small moments that mm -hmm. we appreciate. Yeah. And that's why I started doing these pieces. Like, and that's why I found also the power of haikus. Mm. Haikus are this very short yes. sort of poem that encloses all this emotion in very, very few words. Yes. So that's when I was like, how can I translate this into, as Justin said, like a visual language mm. that does translate the feeling. Oh, interesting. So these are haikus, essentially. It's like a visual because haiku. Because it's three. It's three. It lasts, some of them a little bit less, a little bit more, but normally 17 seconds. And a haiku is three lines, three lines 17 syllables. Interesting. This is all making sense. This is beautiful. So I've, I've, um, I have a handful of haiku bo books at my house. Oh, shit. I don't think I've ever told you this, but mm -hmm. I, I just, like studied some of the masters, you know, and like I always oh. wanted to go back to uh, who is it? Um, Baisu, Baisu, I always get the <laughs> his name confused, but he's born or he was buried in Kyoto, mm -hmm. and uh, I haven't yet to go to his gravesite. Um, I heard it's quite beautiful, and I want to go check it out. But like, there's something so powerful about a haiku. And, and it had the simplicity, but like the depth it can bring to you when it hits, you exactly. know, and like when you look at what you're doing here, it's just that it's like that moment where we only experience it ever so often where we can just pause and really just absorb everything in that particular moment. And if you can do that every once in a while, it is just like, it's the best, best feeling ever because you're truly present. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the point. Like I tend to ask people like, what was the last time that you were under the rain and you felt the rain touching yes. you? Like not being worried of getting wet. It's just like that emotion of feeling, of being human, of, of feeling stuff. Like imagine, oh my God. imagine if someone like literally held you from the shoulders and was like, stop, stop thinking, yeah. stop doing yes. and just appreciate what you're seeing. So it's so funny. You, you're going to, you're going to laugh when you hear this. Um, my wife used to think I was crazy because um, when it would rain in Portland, um, especially if it was like a rain during like a spring rain when it was warmer outside, mm -hmm. I would literally just go sit outside um, and just sit in the rain. And just like, I would actually actually be fully clothed and I didn't care. And I would just like lay and just like let it rain on me because there's just like something about that like repetitive, like just presence that is just like reminding you like you're here you're here you're here like it, it's it's very powerful it brings you back to yourself yeah, right totally and, and, and you get out of your head you get out of everything else and you're just like right here and it's 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 i think it's part of my interest in in all things meditation um anyway this is a we're going way off on a hunter proof here <laughs> we're way, way <laughs> off topic but uh i love your work it's absolutely stunning and like you know some of these early pieces um you know they're they're not crazy in the world of collectibles uh, in terms of people wanting to still, you know, pick these up, although it looks like most of these are, are sold out. Yeah, all of it is actually sold out. All of them are secondary. Yeah. You well, know, no, I mean, in terms of like picking them up off the secondary, like you have one here under one ETH, and then you know ETH, and then it, and then it quickly uh, jumps up from there. But um, this is for some of your early earliest works, and then you know everything you do these we days. We have the other ones on super rare up on the top where you have um, the link tree. Yeah. There we go. Yeah, Those, again, rare. are all sold out. I'm honestly, I'm very blessed to, to have an amazing collector base. And more, more I, I call them my family because they know everything I'm doing. They know where I'm going. They're probably hearing me now. And 
I feel like that's the power of art in NFTs. Like in the traditional world, it would be really tough to be in touch with your collectors or even know them. Yeah. Like you might buy one of my pieces in a gallery and I'll never even know who you are. Right. Mm -hmm. But here it's just like the collectors see what I'm doing. The collectors know my journey. We speak every day, like Dro, the one that I was telling you who picked up one of my very first pieces. We literally speak every single day and we we're just like family and again like maybe two three months ago my camera broke and i i was like in a bit of a hassle because i wanted to make more pieces but i couldn't and my collectors reached out and they were like yo drop some pieces that you have and i'll just literally sponsor the camera so four collectors got together and they they gave enough money for me to buy it for this trip i've been staying with collectors like I've been crashing at their place. Um, I've also dropped in Solana, for example. The Some of the people from the team, shout out to A2K again. Um, he was super nice and he reached out and you were like, yo, you need a place to stay. We live in Houston. We have in a spare room. You can stay here for as long as you want because I was staying here for this moment to meet you. Um, so I've just like been crashing from place to place. Um, another collector, Grace, she literally paid for part of my ho my hotel in New York. Um, another friend also, Nick Cabana, he also paid for my stay in New York. So it's just like people have this community feeling where they know that if I succeed, we all succeed. And that's a huge takeaway that I feel like we kind of get lost because of the speed of Twitter and crypto. It's just we forget about the human side. Yeah. And that's super important. Like, yeah, yeah. It's. It, I mean, it's. It, this is why. Uh, you know, when we have this, we kind of did this new announced refocus on art at, at proof. Uh, it, it's this storytelling is is like th this is. Yes, we love the fun gamification of some of the dynamics and the burning and the craziness and all that. But like to hear the emotion and hear the stories behind the artists, so it's not just a JPEG. The depth comes out is so very important yeah. and it's just because it it's like i don't know like you you hear these stories and you pick up one of these pieces and it's not just a collectible to go up it's a story that i want to hold and when my friends come over i'll tell them the story that i just heard here right and like that is power and it's beauty right and so i don't know i'm i'm a, a big fan of yours love your work and uh your journey i have a feeling is just getting started um, it's so nice to hear that, that, uh, you know, things turned around and like, this is it, what, what could have been seen as a very, uh, you know, depressing and I'm sure it was a very trying moment of your life. Like clearly it's, it, it was very emotional for you to go through this whole thing, uh, had a silver lining in the end, right? Like, it seems like things have been going quite well recently. I think it's part of what we were talking about late, uh, before, like when, when you lose everything, and literally by everything, I mean, like, I had nothing. You appreciate so much everything. Right? Yeah. So knowing, like, from one collector to two collectors to 10 to 20, to, it always feels like the very first time. Yeah. And then, for example, you guys appeared. You saw my work and you were like, yo, make a drop over here. Let's, let's propel you. Because that's something that I wish a lot of people understood, that artists, we're just one person. And we're making things work. And we're busting her ass to to make everything happen like me for example he, i've been around here for a month and a half 
just to be in this interview, to meet my collectors, to meet you. And we're doing things. So it's that's why I was so bullish when you said like, oh, we're doing this twist into art because it's human. It's not mm. anymore about companies or making quick flips or anything. It's about real stories, real people. The humanity behind all of it. Yeah, this is exactly right. Yeah. And something that you feel proud of owning, which which I feel is is super important here, like to have conviction and supporting the journey of someone that is real. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll do another uh, another one of these more extended version. Uh, great to have you on on this Hunter Proof. But let's tell people, everyone that's watching, um, you know, where can they find you? What's the best place just to like... To, to, to follow your adventure? Is it Instagram? Is uh, it Twitter? Twitter? Twitter, okay. Twitter, a thousand percent. Okay, so what's your what's the, the your Twitter handle that people can go to? Um, there we go. All right, there it is right there. So it's Twitter slash D-E-R-E-C-H. I, Derek. Yep. Oh, sorry, there's an I in front of there. This is why I should be wearing my glasses. <laughs> Uh, the one day I don't bring my glasses, and this happens. Um, awesome. So I'll, I'm going to uh, tweet out a piece of your art today uh, to say thanks for coming on the show. Actually. And I'll tag you as well. If you can click on the banner, you'll see yeah. something really nice. What, what? That's from the drop we did with Moonbirds, and it's all the Moonbirds saying how much they like the work. Oh, my God. And how happy they were that Proof was doing this. That's so awesome. And, and thank you to all the Moonbirds in the community at, at Proof for rallying behind you for some of this stuff. Like they're great people. They really yeah. are. We were very lucky uh, to have such a supportive community. It's um, insane. Like having people who, who are willing to support and, and go through this journey with me. It's, it's been amazing. It's been life changing. And I want to thank you for everything they've done. Oh man, we're, we're just getting started. <laughs> we're going to do a lot of fun stuff together. So um, very excited to have you back on soon. All right. Well, with that, I think it's time to wrap things up. Um, this has been a hundred proof. Uh, we've what a fun show. Thank <laughs> it was an honor to have you on on today's show, and uh, look forward to hanging hanging more in the future. And it was an honor being here, and thank you to everyone who heard my story, and we'll see where this goes. Absolutely. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Take care. <laughs>